This morning, I want to go back to uh, a topic that we talked a little bit um, about uh, a couple weeks before Easter. We were talking about blessings. We were talking about godly blessings. And we were wondering, and we were talking about how the different forms of blessings come. Sometimes blessings are really good, and sometimes blessings can be really not so good. And with that, we talked about the form of a blessing. And we talked about the definition of a blessing, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I know that we tendency, we have a tendency to think about blessings as always good things, as the way God blesses us as a form of prosperity, as a form of happiness, easy living, enjoyableness of life. And sometimes we just think all about God's favor and his blessing in our lives when things are going really well for us. And that that's God's purpose in life, actually, is to make us happy. That God's sole purpose for being here is to make my life enjoyable. That that's why God is here at all, is to just focus around me and my little, my little universe. And, and his purpose in, in existence in this universe is to make my life easy. Amen? <laughs> Isn't that what we think about God sometimes? And when our life isn't so easy, we're wondering, God, are you asleep at the wheel up there? What's going on, God? I thought, I thought we had this thing. I, I thought we were, had this relationship thing going, and, and your whole purpose in life was to make me happy. Happy, happy, happy. You know, I thought that was what it was about. And, and I, I don't know, but that's kind of the way our world looks at life sometimes. And maybe those that look at Christianity, maybe they have a skewed viewpoint of it. And as, soon as, and as soon as God doesn't show up, then we don't show up anymore. Because we just think that God isn't really there for us. And there may be we were sold a bill of goods. And, but, but I want to speak about the truth. I want to speak about the truth of God's word. And I, I want to talk about God's purpose in his love for us and how he brings blessings into our life and the prosperity. And, and I want to talk about that. But, you know, if we're going to talk about that, we need to talk about the restraint and the boundaries that God places on our life. We need, to, we need to understand how God blesses us and why God blesses us. So this morning, if I was going to put a title on this message, I would title it, Blessings, Are They Guaranteed or Are They Conditional? Thank you. We're done. <laughs> the answer was given. They're conditional. Let's go home. But let's talk about that. Let's understand what that means when we look at the conditional nature of godly blessings. The text this morning that I have is in your bu- bulletin as well. It's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Probably most of us have at least the first verse of this memorized. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 through 14. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many people have stated that over and over and over again? How many people have claimed that as a life verse at some point in time in their life? Okay. I think many Christians think that verse is the where we stop. But let's go and read on. Verse 12, Then then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. 
So I want to just read this passage again in context all the way through. And then I want to understand a little bit more about why God blesses. All right, and get, maybe we can get the bigger picture. Let's read it again. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So let's read that. Let's keep that passage in context. See, when I read it that way, it gives me an opportunity to see the bigger picture of why God blesses me. God doesn't bless me just because it's his role in life to make me happy. He doesn't bless me because that's how he is uh, wired and that's how he's controlled by my happiness. He blesses me so that I will call on him. He blesses me so that I will seek his face. He blesses me so that I will depend upon him for more and more and more in my life. He doesn't bless me so that I can take my blessings and go play with them and forget about him. But isn't that sometimes in our life how the blessings, what the outcome of the blessings are? If God blesses me with, a mar- with enough money to buy a new boat... I'm not picking on boaters, or new golf clubs, or a new airplane, or a new cottage. If he blesses me with all of those things, my tendency is to say, thank you, Jesus. Now I go play with them and I forget about God. True? True that? Anybody? Can anybody agree with me? Am I the only one that plays with my golf clubs? Am I the only one that has abused God's blessings like that? See, God's blessings really, as we described a couple weeks ago, God's blessings really can be best described as the events in this life that draw us closer to him. And sometimes those events are through prosperity, and sometimes they're through adversity. But whatever draws me closer to him, that truly is the blessing That truly is the blessing because I'm here for the big picture. I'm here for the long term. I'm not here just for the snapshot. See, God's plans go beyond the easy life mentality and get real when it comes to the relationship part of life. God is all about relationship. He wants to break through the walls of religion. He wants to tear down the walls of religion that say, just come in and give a couple bucks and go on out and then think you're a Christian. That's not Christianhood to him. That's not being Christ-like to him. Christ-likeness to God is relationship with his son, Jesus. And that's exactly what we are as little Christ, as followers of Christ, as a Christian, is that we are like Christ in that God wants the relationship with us that he had with his son, Jesus. And he gets that through time. It doesn't come in a snapshot. It doesn't come just at this moment in time. It comes over a relationship over based over a lifetime of living out our relationship with Jesus. So when we have a relationship with, with, with God, it, it, it's deeper than just the superficial encounter. You know, we've all heard the stories of the people that were lost at sea, you know, the old, the old lost at sea man in a life raft, and he says, God, 
if you get me out of here, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Have you ever heard that story? Have you ever said it? (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where you've said it? Yeah. I think we all have at some point in time. Well, here's the trick to living a Christ-like life after the fact. Come good on your word. Come good on it. You said, God, if you save me out of this, I will serve you. Then serve them. Don't cheap out on that. God didn't cheap out on you. He saved you. You're here, aren't you? If you're not here, raise your hand. We're all here. God has brought us through whatever the situations in life that we have. So what we need to have then is we come into this relationship with God in that same desperate plea that we had when we were in the moment of disparity. If I can continue my life saying, God, I will serve you if you get me through this, and then I get so excited when God brings me through it, if I could maintain that level of energy, that level of passion, that level of purpose, that is the relationship that pleases the Lord. That's the blessing. See, many times we're like the spoiled child at Christmas. We want, we've wanted this gift so long. We've wanted this, whatever it is, the racetrack or the basketball or whatever it is. We wanted it so long, for so long, and as soon as we rip open the wrapping paper and see what it is, we play with it for a little bit, and then the thrill of it's over, and we go on to the next present. We're so short-focused many times in our... Uh, in our emotional attachment to some things. But the relationship with God that he wants with us, that he wants with you and me, is time-tested, and it's proven through adversity. It's proven through a blessing that comes through testing and time. And that's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. And we speak truth. We want truth in our life. We don't want anything that's not untrue. We want to speak the truth of God. So this morning, as we go through this discussion on God's blessings, are they guaranteed or are they conditional? We want to speak about the truth of God. And we don't want to uh, sugarcoat it, and we don't want to confuse it. We want to be perfectly clear and, and blunt about the truth of God's word and know that God is putting healthy, responsible boundaries around our relationship so that he can protect us from being hurt. So that he can protect us from hurting ourselves. Now, how would we hurt ourselves? Here's one way we could hurt ourselves. We can hurt ourselves by allowing our life to be based on a life of deception, a life of untruth. And we can go down the path because it may appear politically correct to speak a certain way, or to do a certain thing, but if it's not based on God's truth, do you know what that is doing to you? It's hurting you, and it's hurting me, and it's hurting this body of believers, and it's hurting the community that we live in because we're not being authentic, we're not being truthful. So God says this morning that I will, I want to bless you, I want to be that provider to you. I want to be that healer to you. I want all that to you, but you must understand the boundaries and the requirements and the stipulation so that I can do that for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's great truth in the statement, and we've talked about it today. Scott mentioned it this morning, and it was awesome. How much as as we are extending our love to Christ or to God, how much more he's extending his love to us. He really loves us. 
He really loves you. Do you know that? God really loves you. And isn't that awesome to know that? That you can feel and you can know the fact that God loves you. And you know that the Bible also says that God doesn't love one person more than another. He is not a respecter of persons. He does not love Rip more than me. Or he does not love Andrea more than Chris. He does not love people differently. He loves us all the same. It doesn't make any difference if you're a sinner or if you're a Christian. God loves everybody. He loves us. Romans 5.8. In fact, turn in your Bible to Romans 5 if you have it or you can look it on the screen. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. How does he show his love? God shows his love. He showed it that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't have to be a good person before God loved me. I didn't have to earn that. He loved me while I was still a violent sinner. He loved me before I was even born. He loved me from the very beginning of time. And he'll love me to the very end of time. His love will never change for you and I. He loved us while we were still sinners. So then if God loves everyone the same, how can there be a difference in how God cares and provides for people differently? First of all, do you think he does? Do you think God cares for some people differently? Do you think he provides for some different, different people differently than others? I know we're getting on kind of a touchy subject here. But let's work through this, okay? Because the devil loves to walk on the, on the thin lines of life. He loves to walk in those lines that could be confusing. Because that's where he wins. When he can confuse you and I, then he'll win. And so the best thing to do is just talk about it head on. And the best we can, get into God's word and understand what God's saying about God's blessings. Does God bless some people more than others? Now, we've already said that he loves us all the same. True? But does he bless us all the same? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit. We've been talking about this morning, this whole this morning has been about relationship. Did you notice that? From the, whole, from the very beginning of the worship service, the whole thing kind of was on about relationship. And I think that's kind of what God's trying to speak to us this morning about the significance of relationship and how we relate to each other and how we relate to God and how he relates to us. Relationship is vitally important. So what is, what is our relationship? We, we're in Romans chapter 5. Let's go and let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, Since we now have been justified by his blood, what does justified mean? Just as if we'd never sinned or we've been forgiven of our sins. Right? When you, when you repent and ask Jesus to forgive you, he completely wipes your slate clean. Just like you've never sinned. Okay, so now that you're justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Okay, interesting word, God's wrath. You mean God has wrath? I thought God loved us. Wrath, love, 
Let's keep reading. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Jesus completed the transaction for us. He loved us before he came to earth, but he completed the transaction in that love by dying for us. By giving his life, he completed the transactions. So now, how does that relate to us? See, something's changing in us. Something is changing us from an enemy of God because while we are still sinners, even though God loves us, God hates sin, we are enemies of God while we are sinners, even though God loves us. Hard thing to grasp, maybe, isn't it? One of those fine lines, again, that the devil walks on. But while I am a sinner, while before I have repented and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, I am an enemy of God. Understand what you are before you are justified. Because you're an enemy of God until you say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Would you please forgive me? The moment you say that, you are justified, just as if you had never sinned. Now, some things change. Some things change. You were an enemy of God. Now you are changed into a person saved from the wrath of God. Something's changed. Something miraculous has changed in our relationship with God. Amen. Can anybody say, thank you, Jesus? Everybody that's saved here, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because we're changed from a relationship of an enemy into a relationship of a person saved from the wrath of sin. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. All right? Flesh, what does flesh mean? Flesh means worldly desires, worldly things. It means my inner desires. That means, when I, that, that means the, the desires that I have while I'm still an enemy of God. The desires that I have before I'm justified. That's the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Something's changed. Something's changed in my heart that my desires change. The mind governed by the flesh, in verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Something's changed, guys. You get it? Something's changing in your life. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It, It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Even if it wanted to, it cannot because it is, it is an enemy of God. Enemies don't submit to each other until there's a surrender. You're at war with your enemy. Your flesh man is at war with God until you surrender your life to him, until you say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Until you say that, I don't care what society says, I don't care how much God loves you, you are at war with God because you're still an enemy of God. Something has to change. Verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So therefore, if I am walking in sin, 
I am not pleasing God. Can we just read the Bible for what the Bible says? It's very, yeah, it's very easy to understand that word, isn't it? Those who are in the realm of the flesh, those who are still an enemy of God, what does it say? Maybe please God. Sometimes please God. If you smile at God and wink, can you please God? No, you cannot please God when you're living in sin. This describes the person that is still full-forced against God. He's still the enemy. And as long as you refuse, as long as that person refuses to accept Jesus as their Savior, Savior, no matter what they do, no matter how good they live, no matter how committed they are to a belief system, no matter how religious you are, wow, you mean a person could be religious and not be in relationship with God? You mean I can go to church every Sunday? You mean I can, I can, I can fully embrace the doctrines of the church? And not be in relationship with God? Wow. That's a shocker, isn't it? I mean, come on. I I can be in every Wednesday night, every Sunday school class, every church service. I can be at everything the church does and still not be in relationship with God. (laughs) See, if Jesus isn't their personal Savior, it's impossible please God. It's impossible. These are walking dead men. There is no life in them. Spiritually dead as a doornail. But yet they walk around in their physical life and play the game. Play the religious game. But spiritually they are an enemy of God. Let's keep in, uh, yeah, stay in Romans 8. Now read down to the next verse. Verse 9. Through 11. You, see, now he's talking, remember, Paul is talking to the Romans, he's talking to the Christians, okay? Remember, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but, in, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if, 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 huge is the two-letter word, biggest word here, if, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. Something's changed. You're no longer the enemy, you are the justified if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you or give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do not skip over the ifs. Do not skip over the ifs. Because if you skip over the ifs, you're living in deception. If you're living in deception, you're living in death. It may sound good, it may look good on the outside, but there's no life in that. You are an enemy of God if you don't look at the ifs. There's a distinct change that happens in a man's heart when he receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That man becomes alive with the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That same Spirit that rose a, that, that, that rose a dead man that had been dead for three days. Body was already starting to stink. The same Spirit that, rose, that raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. The same Spirit now lives in you 
and me when we're justified by the blood of Christ. But not before that. But not before that. You have to understand, it doesn't happen, guaranteed, it doesn't happen until you accept Jesus Christ in your life. Now that this man is being changed from an enemy to a child, verse 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Wait, now you've changed from an enemy to a child. That's interesting, isn't it? The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, which is Daddy, which is the most intimate way of saying Father. Daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that awesome that God creates a change in our life? So what has changed and what hasn't? Let's talk about that. What hasn't changed? What hasn't changed is God's love. God's love has not changed because you became a saved person. He doesn't love you more. He can't because his love for you is already perfect. How do you improve on perfect? How do you improve on perfect? This isn't the the next generation. This isn't the best and improved tide. (laughs) The new and improved love. No, it's the same love. It hasn't changed a bit. God's love for us has not changed. But there are some things that have changed. My love, my relationship, those things have changed and are in a continual state of change. We're now in a different relationship to God. We were once simply a creation of God. Now we are part of his family. We are in relationship with the Creator. Before, we were just part of the creation. Now we are part of the family. There's a big difference, isn't there, between being a part of the creation and being part of the family. There's lots of of things that come with being part of the family that aren't in part of being part of the creation. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Other things that have changed is that our love for Him has changed. While we were an enemy of God, whether you realize it or not, you did not love God. (laughs) You might think you did, but while you were an enemy of God, you were not loving God. You were maybe saying the right words or saying some words or looking maybe like you were, but you really weren't. You really weren't. Your Your love changed because the Holy Spirit brought you the ability to love God. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit changed you can a man love God. We cannot love God in our flesh. You love God in spirit and in truth, and when we're living in unspirit and deception, we're not loving God. We can say it, but we're not doing it. So our love has changed for him. The desires of our heart have changed. Before our relationship changed from enemy to child, We were bent on living for our own selfish needs and desires. That's all we cared about. So now, Christian person, you are not living for yourself anymore. You are not living just for yourself anymore. You are no longer yours. You are God's. And therefore, his desires will come into a life that is fully submitted to God. It will come. So if you're struggling here in this area of putting others' needs in front of yours, 
can I ask you to challenge yourself? Am I really a follower of God? He changes you. He changes you. If you're still selfish, if you're still putting your own needs over somebody else's, can we say the words clearly and plainly that if you're a selfish person, that you may not be walking with God? It doesn't mean we have our problems, folks. And I'm not trying to say perfection. I'm not trying to put an overly heavy burden here. I'm just trying to get us to start challenging ourselves with the truth of God's word. And if I'm not living accordingly, maybe I need to change. Maybe there's something in my life that still needs to work out. See, our desires should be on a continual upward slope of pleasing God with a lifestyle that bears fruit. Yeah, we should be continually sanctifying our life, and our life should continually be getting more like Christ every day, and there should be fruit to prove it. You know if it's an apple tree if it makes apples. You know a Christian's life when you see the fruit of their life. And if the fruit isn't there, then let's just call it what it is. It's a dead tree. In fact, the Bible says that this, the, the, the leaves or the limbs or the tree will be pruned and it will be picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. That's an enemy of God, folks. God burns his enemies. He prunes those that are loving him. The relationship still comes with some pruning, but we're getting rid of the dead weight. We're getting rid of the worldly passions. We're getting rid of the selfishness and the self centeredness of our life and that's being cut off from us that's being burned because that's an enemy of God and my life then is being pruned so that I can be more Christ-like and then I will create more fruit see and this is where we run into some society problems everybody loves and will appreciate that God loves us our society will say that they don't have any problems saying that do they there's no problem. I can say that in the, I can say that any place. I can say that downtown in the middle of Charlevoix. I can say that on City Hall. I can say it anywhere that God loves us. God loves you. He loves you. He really does. <laughs> but if I say anything more about God's conditions, all of a sudden people get a little bit nervous here. See, our society normalizes things. It's, it's as simple as a soccer team. It's as simple as playing peewee soccer, or whatever we call that. That's peewee baby. What do you call soccer, Ron, when it's peewee? Peewee. All right, we'll call it peewee. It's, it's, it's the same thing as playing that when your kids are five years old and they're just starting to play the game. And you know what? And at, in that world, there are no losers. Our society says you all won. Even though the score was 10 to nothing, you all win. Everybody gets a trophy at the end of the day because I don't want anybody to feel bad about themselves. You know, guys, that is politically correct, but that is a lie of the devil because there is nothing biblical about that. Nothing biblical about healthy competition. When you win, you win, and when you lose, you lose. Let's not normalize it to say that we're all in the same playing field all the time. Because there are some teams that are better than other teams, and when they win, they win. And when they lose, they lose. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean, Johnny, that you are, can ever play soccer. In fact, Michael Jordan didn't even make his high school basketball team. Do you know that? Do you know that Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team? 
Did that mean Michael Jordan would never be a basketball player? Well, you wear Jordans? Anybody know who Michael Jordan is not? No, because he persevered. He tried hard again. He didn't quit. So rather than telling little Johnny that you're okay, why don't you tell little Johnny, why don't you try a little harder? Why don't you work a little bit harder? I'm not being mean with this. I hope you don't think I am. I'm just saying, God, we need to know that responsibilities come. God puts healthy boundaries on his blessings. That's what I'm getting at here. Society doesn't like that. Society doesn't want us to know that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know, or do you, yeah, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. <laughs> if you want to win, then run to get the prize. Don't just think you can get the prize by running. No, you got to work. You got to diligently work to get the prize. Verse 26 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. See, he's taking responsibility. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. What he's saying is that I'm not going to blame my failures on somebody else. I'm not going to blame my inconsistencies on somebody else. No, I beat my body into submission. I take responsibility for it. Then I go to God for myself and Jesus and I work out the relationship. That's what, we're, that's what it is to work out your salvation. You take responsibility. You and Jesus get together and you figure it out. And you say, okay, Jesus, what do I need to do better? What do I need help in? I'm failing right now. I'm not doing very well. I'm not winning this life's race. So what do I do, Jesus? You, get, you, go, to, you go to the source. You don't blame it on somebody else. You don't blame it on your church. You don't blame it on your Sunday school teacher. You don't blame it on a bad experience you had in another church. Therefore, I give up on God. No, that's like Michael Jordan never making it to the NBA. No, what you do is you, get, you take responsibility. You beat your body. And you take some responsibility for what God wants to do in your life. And you say, Jesus, this is me and you now. How are we going to work it out? So how does that change, then, the effect of God's reactions towards us? If I take that reaction, if I take that responsibility, how does it change God's feeling towards me or his, his ability to work on my behalf? See, this change of relationship between being an enemy of God to a child of God changes it all. It changes everything. Everything changes when I become a child of God versus an enemy of God. Yeah. And this changing process is called holiness. It's called living a life of holiness. It's called living a life of, of conviction, like we talked about the last time we spoke about, not legalism, holy conviction. Huge difference. Huge difference. Because holy conviction is placed on relationship. Legalism is based on form. Based on something people see, but not relationship. Gospel of John, chapter 14. I want to get a little bit more in talking about, this is Jesus speaking about how he's concerned about these boundaries that he's setting up. He's setting them up for us. John, chapter 14, begin at verses 15 
16 through 18. It says, here's Jesus speaking. If you love me, here's that word again, the big word, if. (laughs) If. If. You love me. Mike, do you love me? Mike, if you love me, Mike, if you love me, Mike, this is what's going to do. You're going to keep my commands. If you love me, you're going to keep my commands. And... And here's the conjunction now. This is, it, this is an, when it says and, it means that what, what was said before goes with what's said after. If you love me, Mike, keep my commands, and then I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of, this, of the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, Mike, because... He lives in you, and you will, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's all based upon the first word of that passage, if, if, if you love me, if you love me. All of a sudden, my relationship changes. If you love me, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that I'm giving Jesus the basic premises of being first in my life. It means I'm making him the center point of my life. If you love me, you'll obey me, you'll listen to me, you'll work with me, you'll submit to me. And when you purpose in your heart to do that, even though maybe you don't know how, you're really going to be able to do all that, here's the promise that he gives to you. You don't have to do it on your own because I'm sending you an advocate. What's an advocate? A helper. I'm going to send somebody that's going to help you live the life that you need to live, even though you can't do it on your own. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm, going to, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come and I'm going to help you. And I'm going to help you through the power of the Holy Spirit to help complete the change process. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of deception. What? truth. Oh, I, de- I was deceived. The spirit of truth. See, we live in a spirit of deception. Our world is a spirit of deception because it's twisted and it's dark. God lives in a spirit of truth which is clear and bright and concise. But verse 17 says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. It cannot because it's an enemy of God. The world is an enemy of God because they haven't had the change in relationship. Verse 17b, but you know me because I live with you and will be with you. Why? Because you're a child of God now. You're no longer the enemy of God. So how does this change? How does this affect God's ability to bless us? How does it change God's ability to bless us? We've talked about God loving us all the same. Doesn't love me anymore, any less. But how can he bless me now that I am in a relationship with him? This is where politically correct people would be all over me. And that's okay. I don't care. Because this change in our relationship with God is absolutely necessary if God is going to be able to bring blessings in my life. It's absolutely necessary that I have a relationship with God if I expect to pray and have that answered. The only prayer that is answered by a sinner is, Father, forgive me. Not, Father, bless me. Father, bless me is not in the vernacular of a sinner. 
The only prayer that God answers to a sinner is, Jesus, would you please forgive me? Now, after you've prayed that, you can ask the Lord whatever you want to ask. And he will bless you according to the promises that he has for you. According to the will that he has for you, he brings blessing upon blessing upon blessing if you will obey him. If you will continue to work out your salvation in him, if you continue to put him first in your life, if, if, if you do that, he will bless, bless, bless. But he cannot bless if you don't if. He cannot. Because why? Because you're an enemy of God. You don't bless your enemies. God hates sin. He loves people. He hates sin. He loves people. See, if that person will only prove out his love. Our actions prove our love, folks. Our actions prove our love. Our fruit bears witness to our love. Our fruit will be evident by our love. Jesus says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and will show myself to them. Wow. God shows up for those that love him. And he shows up with love and compassion and mercy and grace and blessing upon blessing upon blessing. But it doesn't show up if you're not a child of God. And this was a little bit of a problem for the, Jew, for the, for the, for the disciples. Because if you read in verse 22 of that same chapter 14, then Judas... Not Judas Iscariot. This is not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. It's a different Judas. But he asked the Lord. He said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Even then, they were wondering about this inconsistency of God's love, so-called. But Jesus replied to him, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Consistency of Jesus. Very consistent. If anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Can you see Jesus also seeing the cynics of his world around him, the politically correctness of his world, and he had to justify or he felt he should justify to say that, guys, this is not just my idea. These words that I'm speaking are from the Father. They're not just my idea, guys. This is God's word that I'm speaking out now. So here, to, here it is. I'm just not egotistically a maniac. I'm just not declaring that you have to obey me because it's my idea. No, it's the plan of God, my Father, that you love me, you obey me. God will love you evenly, perfectly, but he then brings blessings because now you are a child of God and that you are now in a different relationship with him. You're no longer my enemy. You are my friend. You are my brother, actually. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're adopted as sons and daughters in the kingdom of heaven. We're part of the family. When I'm a son or a daughter, I have a right to go to my father differently than the neighbor kid does. God has a purpose in our life, and he will help us as we put him first in our life. If you want any more verses to read, I'm not going to go to this, but mark this down, write this down, or put it in your memory. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Go read chapter 11 of Deuteronomy today if you want to know the if and then commands of God regarding blessings. 
Even though it's Old Testament, you know what? God doesn't change, folks. His word's his word. An Old Testament passage is just as meaningful today as it was then. As we conclude, Jackie, if you'd come up and you can start winding me down. <laughs> the last verses of chapter 11 of Deuteronomy say this, just to kind of tell you the end of the story. But it's still important for you to go and read it yourself later today. Chapter 11, verses 26 and 28. God's saying, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the one, or turn away from that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Now, wait a minute. What other gods is he talking about? Maybe flesh. Maybe my own desires. Maybe my own agendas. Maybe my own thoughts. Maybe my own perspective of what God's word says. Because maybe I haven't read God's word enough to know what God's thoughts are. So I'll make up my own. Guilty? Maybe we make assumptions. God, I know that you want to bless me because I'm such a great guy. And God's saying, Mike, I love you. I love you but I'm not going to bless you until you're my child. And when you're my child, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. I'll bless you with more than what you could ever want. I'll bless you because you're my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. How do you know if you're truly living for God? How do you know that? Here's some telltale signs that can become evident in a person's life. Here's some fruit. Here's some fruit of a person that is putting God first in their life. Number one, he's a giver. He's a giver of everything that he has, of his finances, of his time, of his resources, of his energy. He's a giver. He gives it back to God. He's joyful and abundant in that. So today, if you want to know, go home today and look at your checkbook. Go home today and look at your giving record. Seriously, this is relationship stuff with God. This is relationship stuff. Are you selfish with God? Are you selfish? That shows your heart. He's a prayer. His day isn't complete if he's not in a continual prayer relationship with Jesus. You pray continually. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're on your knees doing nothing. It means that you're praying as you're working. It means you're praying as you're walking through your day. It means you're keeping a constant relationship with Jesus. It means you wouldn't do anything at any given time thinking that you're hiding from God <laughs> because you know his eyes are always roving the earth you're pleasing your father in heaven because he's your father number three he's a reader of God's word he's seeking to know more about God and he wants to really understand what God's word is saying to his life in other words ignorance is not bliss anymore Ignorance is not bliss. No, you are not ignorant anymore of God's word. You need to understand it. You need to know how to apply it. And you need to know how to decipher deception and truth. And you live in truth. You don't live in deception thinking that you're okay. That's the world's perspective. Number four, his actions are a proof of God's blessing. His actions. In other words, he doesn't make repeated and openly poor life choices. No, you choose to do the things of life that would make you more pleasing to God your Father because you're a relationship now with a, as a son or a daughter. 
And then finally, he surrenders and he, and he submits everything in, his, in this life that would associate with worldly living. Everything that would associate you with worldly living, you surrender it to God and you submit it to him and say, Lord, I don't want a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality. I don't want a hint of worldliness. I don't want to confuse anybody of who I am because I'm sold out to Jesus. That's the relationship that God wants. That's the relationship that he blesses. It's God's word. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, I know that sometimes we read words, we see things, we, we, we preach things, and then we have our time living them out because we just think they're too difficult, they're too hard. So God, I pray against that mentality in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would give us the heart, opened heart, to see and hear the requirement, the boundaries that you place on our life to protect us from our own self our own levels of deception, that you would break through that and bring us the truth of God's word to say that, God, you bless your children. And help us, God, be that advocate, be that paraclete, Holy Spirit, that you are in our lives and, and, and make, it, make yourself known to us. God, I pray that you'd forgive us of our sins this morning. Forgive us of the thoughts maybe we've had in the past. Forgive us of our own directions maybe in the past. Direct us, justify us, I pray. And give us that relationship that so badly you want to have with us. We thank you, Lord, for this. And I pray, Lord, that this message would ring true in the hearts of people as we've heard it today. I pray they would come back to me later this week and to others. I pray that I would constantly be challenged with my Christ-likeness. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Go throughout this day today and bless the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father.